0: A lot of reading for uh, episodes today. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big research day over in the nearby garage. Okay. How about that? Uh, what was it? Neo? Oh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we share the tools to improve your finances and unfold the roadmap to financial independence. It is the Money Mechanic, and I have The Economist with me today. It's just the two of us. Just the two of us. There's a song in there somewhere.
1: I think it'll be in the show notes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we we should just hand off the show notes to the accountant because he couldn't. He's gonna. He's at work. Like, yeah, that's work terrible. Today. Like we've got an interview lined up today. We had to be ready for 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and this is one of the parts of living on the West Coast. We got to be ready for. Like we're already pushing it back that they have to be interviewing at seven. So right, yeah, little early for us. And speaking of a little early, uh, look at the size of the beer i have today is
1: that bigger than my beer
0: i think well, it is this is a pint glass and this okay. is the can i don't yeah. it actually doesn't do it justice but okay so there's there's a bit of a story to this beer today okay this is i'll just a, open mine yeah just get yours out of the way because yours is just guinness right it is yeah we know all about more guinness everything there is to know we know about. thanks guinness. kevin <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the story of this beer, and I'm actually supposed to be sharing it with the three of us because it's big enough. It's a one-liter can of beer. Unfortunately, COVID times, my wife gets to have the other half. I was gonna say fortunately
1: or unfortunately, <laughs> depending on your perspective.
0: <laughs> well, well, this is fair, but fortunately for her, and yeah. probably fortunately for our listeners, I won't drink the whole liter of it on this show. But it somewhat is somewhat
1: surprising too. <laughs>
0: It is a new brewery and it's called North Basin Brewing Company. And they are out of lovely Asuyas, British Columbia. And I know, The Economist, you've traveled up there a few times. And this place over there, yeah, wherever, whatever, it is, it's the very southern end of the Okanagan Valley on the Canadian side. It's very close to the US border. But I mean, how do you even describe that area? It's full of vineyards. The lakes gorgeous. It's it's an actual uh, arid desert in Canada. Yeah,
1: Canadian desert. I yeah, that's
0: how you describe it. Yeah, super popular summer place, and finally they have a brewery there now, right? Because it's a pretty quaint little town on the lakeside. There isn't it? it it's
1: one of the smallest places in the Okanagan Valley. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, but totally gorgeous. Great place to visit in the summer. And they have Ooh. this uh, North Basin Brewery Company now. And uh listener of the show, Dave, thank you very much, Dave, for supplying this beer. Uh, he knows we like IPAs, so we have – it's called The Ditch IPA. And look at – this isn't on camera, but I'm pouring yeah. and talking. That's
1: impressive. Uh, and, Dave, thank you for your attention of uh, – of sending it to all three of us.
0: And that's fair. And my wife thanks you very much <laughs> for the, for the other half of that beer. And uh, here we go. It's uh, you know, now we can actually show cheers. the beers on our cheers. Oops. You know, the virtual background doesn't work that well. <laughs> yeah. It's not great. We'll it's have not to great. change it up. <laughs> you know what? We need like the, I need like a white, you know, how like you do the color comparison. Anyway, yeah. it's pretty cloudy. It's called the ditch. It's a 6% IPA from North Basin brewing company. Let me see. Oh, a
1: liter there. of 6% will get you there.
0: Ooh, that's got a lot of IPA going.
1: Yeah, it doesn't taste like Guinness.
0: Nope, nope. no, it's got a lot of bitterness going. I'd like to know what hops they throw into that. I've had a quick look on their website, but I couldn't find the ingredients. A lot of times I'll tell you what's in their IPAs and things like that. Uh, But they did just open during the pandemic. So I know (laughs) that in town there, oh, the dogs are in the garage and they're barking, (laughs) but nothing unusual there. What can you do? Yeah. They opened in the panic, so they've had a lot of support from the local community, which is great, because actually, now that trivia, you and I, uh, we did the episode, the failed episode that okay. had the C-King I King IPA, I think it was? Oh, the lost episode. Yeah, the lost episode. So we talked about it on the other episode, and apparently that brewery is going broke here in, in Victoria. So we've, there's been some local support for that uh, through the aviation community as well, because it's run by veterans right. and things like that. So anyway, um, good luck to all the breweries uh, across Canada through these tough times and cheers. Cheers. So today on the show, we are talking about a new, new-ish fintech startup in Canada, which is, how would you want to call it? Democratizing real estate. I mean, this is bringing crowdfunded real estate to the masses. Like this has already happened in the US for a bit. There's been a few different startups down there. Right. Um, Come and gone, right? Come and gone. Different measures of success. And I know you and I have looked into this before because we got interested when originally it was IMBY in my backyard. Yeah. Which then rebranded to Addy. Addy, all lowercase yeah yeah so you you and I have been interested in this sort of space for a while and of course you know being the FI garage we support financial independence but you don't have to always get there through index investing we're always right. looking for something new and we like to find it and do our research on it and uh so we're going to talk about buy properly the new fintech yeah. today and we're lucky to have kushbu Ja with us the CEO and are you founder co-founder how does that work yeah. let us know who you are welcome to FI garage.
2: Thank you, thank you for having me here. Um, yes, and I'm I am the founder as well um, of Buy Properly.
0: That's awesome. We've uh, discussed, we've talked about alternate investing on the show before, and we've talked about fractional real estate. And it really hasn't been available much in Canada, but Buy Properly is now available online. And okay. just run through the basics of it for our listeners as a start off here, so we can kind of get some uh, grasp of what we're talking about on the show here.
2: Sure. I mean, for end customers, it's super simple. It's modeled on Amazon, so to say. So you go online the, to the platform, you browse through properties, um, you see what you like, you get to see all the details of it, similar to what you would see on Amazon. You click buy. Um, you, of course, have to have your profile with us because this is financial services. So we have to do KYC, etc. And then that's it. You check out. Um, You make the money transfer, you get the shares. I think the way it works is every property is structured like a company. So each property is a standalone company. And when you're buying a part of that house, you're effectively buying shares of that company. And that one single company, all it does is owns that house, rents it out, and makes money from that single house. So that's how it works in the background. Um, Of course, as you can imagine, this is a almost like an equity investment. So we have to do the KYC, AML, suitability, all of that in the background. And assuming for most Canadians, it would work. But if at all, there's somebody who's not qualified to invest, then the system would not let them invest.
0: Okay. I started off, I signed up when I first found the platform and you were on Maple Money before I heard that podcast, but I'd actually found you a little bit before that. So when it, when it you came on Tom's show, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I can't wait to listen to that. So glad we get to talk to you today. And, and I signed up and I did go through your KYC and I'm very familiar with that because I'm an active investor in other areas. So I understand how the Know Your Client works. And it is good that you go through that kind of diligence because I think one of my fears with all this kind of crowdsource investment, and I see a lot of uh, angel investing and startup investing now is that people can too easily just invest their money and maybe not fully understand or a know the risks or understand where they're going into it. So you've kind of covered a little bit of the sort of the brief of what buy properly is. Now, how much is the minimum investment? Say I've been approved from your KYC. What's my minimum to get in?
2: 2,500.
0: Okay, and that gets me what fraction of ownership? Are you funding the 100% of the building's purchase or the house purchase or is it depend, is it property dependent? How does that work?
2: Yeah, so it depends. This is the equity offering of the house, right? Uh, In typically, what we do is uh, we would have um, mortgage to about like, 50%, Fifty percent. We don't try to lever it up quite a lot because then it's not cash flow positive. Right. You may have vacancy and all of that problem, and we don't want to go back to investors and say, "Hey, we had to replace the faucet and it costs like two hundred dollars, so your share is like two bucks." We don't want that situation to arise. Um, and, uh, and so that's how it's structured. Uh, but when you say in terms of share, of course, if you're thinking over a five-year period, once you've paid off the debt, then your share of equity is what you're getting. So say if it was a 500 K and 250 K is the equity portion of it, and you invested 2,500, that's the proportion that you own for it.
1: So, so you would own 1% in that case, or would you own 0.5%?
2: You
0: don't want 1%. of that okay so you participate in the gain of the 250 obviously right not the the entire property I mean it's just math it's just math yeah, at that point you're yeah, dividing yeah. it up right so yeah.
2: okay well, let's divided by 250.
0: Let's get back to the basics before we get too deep into it here, (laughs) because I know one of the questions that, you know, uh, the economists and I asked ourselves when we first started reading about all these kind of crowdsourced real estate, which is, I think, democratizing real estate is a really interesting thing because the price is so out of reach, especially we're in Victoria, you're in uh, Toronto, right? That's where your offices are. I mean, we know how expensive real estate is. So I've invested in residential REITs before, and I still hold them. Why wouldn't people just do that? Why is buy properly different? Or what are the advantages?
2: Yeah, so if you think in terms of concept, uh, the REIT and what we are doing is kind of similar. We're taking something big and breaking it down into smaller chunks to let people buy. But I think that's where the similarity ends, sort of. Because uh, for one thing, when you're investing in the REIT, you're effectively investing with a fund. So you're investing in this fund and you're kind of saying that, okay, I've invested and I'm invested in REIT as well, but my REIT is not making money at all. Um, But uh, I have a Vanguard REIT ETF. And so when I invested, I invested in Vanguard. I'm assuming that's a big brand. The fund managers know where they're putting the money. But that's the end of it. When you're investing it by property, you are saying, okay, I like this house. One of my customers actually drove past all three options that he had and said, okay, I like this one and I didn't like the other two. So this is, you're choosing what you're investing in. You know exactly what you're getting into. So you're not counting on me to say, okay, I promise you I will invest in the right places. Just give me your money and get the return. Instead you're saying, this is a house You can see the house, this is the condition, and this is where your money is going. So it's almost like doing your private deal, Mm -hmm. except that private deals right now are just not accessible to regular people. And the advantage of doing it that way is, one, the correlation to the stock market is really low. So when you look at REITs, 30 years ago, yes, they were not as correlated to the stock market because they were new to the space. But now if you're talking about publicly traded regular liquid REITs, the correlation to the stock market is as high as 0.7 to 0.9. Like if I take my own Vanguard REIT ETF, it moves exactly in tandem with the rest of the stock market. It is not any different. And so when the stock market crashed in Jan, it went down. So last year, Jan with COVID, stock market went down 30%. The REITs went down like 25%. The housing market, the private deals, however, were up 8%. Mm-hmm. So then you're you're not really diversifying when you're doing REITs. That's another big difference. And if you're talking in terms of returns, if you're going to a REIT, think about it. My Vanguard ETF uh, has five REITs under it. Yeah. Then each of those REITs have fund of funds. And each of those funds of funds have some private equity funds under them. Then they invest in developer slash marketeer who then invests in the actual developer who's actually doing something with the property. So if everybody would have taken a cut, you can imagine whatever the initial asset generated, you are so many layers away that you can only get a diluted version of it.
0: That's a great segue into fees because that's yeah. sort of what we're talking about. And the layers, uh, I don't disagree with you that when you get into these big uh, big REITs where they've, they basically are commercializing um, or you know, commoditizing you know, housing or commercial space or industrial space, whatever it is, it's become a commodity, right? So they have their layers of fees, like you said. What is the fee structure for buy properly and how does that work for investors?
2: Yeah, so um, our fees is 2.5%. No hidden charges, no additional things, nothing else baked in anywhere else. This is the net cost, which is sometimes very different from any ETF or mutual fund or anything that you buy, because typically the fees would be stated as 0.5%. But then there is commissions and this and that, which is hidden underneath. So when you put in a hundred bucks, only 95 actually went in. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, that' okay. There's my question then. The 2.5 is on the initial investment. So does that come off before you get your equity stake?
2: So what we do is because this is a recurring cost because we are managing the tenants, the property, right. all of the other things, sourcing, mm-hmm. exit, everything is being done by us. The two and a half percent is an annual fee. Okay. Typically, what we do is because these are rented out, we just take it out from the rent and then distribute the rest of the rent as dividends. Okay. So most of the times you're not dealing with it. In
1: okay. Other, no. So you base you charge that two point five percent quarterly. Is that right?
2: Annual. That's the annual fee.
1: It's the annual fee, but you break it up into quarterly yes. installments. Yes. So there's nothing due when you invest your $2,500.
2: Correct. And there's okay. nothing due when you exit because we don't charge anything when you exit. So the exit right. gains are entirely yours. And that 2.5% is based on your initial price. So if you invested like 10K and that 10K worth of property is now worth 15K, we're still charging on that 10K. Um, And so even if the market price has gone up, you're still doing that, unlike, say, a mutual fund where you have a net asset value adjusted, so you're constantly paying higher and higher values.
1: Yeah. Or alternatively, I guess if it goes down temporarily, you'd be (laughs) paying fees on something above the… If it went down to eight, you'd still be paying on 10.
2: True, true.
1: Oh,
0: that's interesting. For a
2: five year period, although I would say that uh, that's rare to happen. We actually tried that, we built in the Excel widget and we are thinking maybe we'll put up on the website that you can just pick any five years and it would be okay.
0: Well, have I got something for you, Kushbu?
2: Okay.
0: I I agree with you that that should be rare to happen. Like we've seen great growth in real estate uh, in the major centers in Canada. But here's a little anecdote for you. And the economist and I were talking about this in preparation for the interview. You're probably familiar with um, Addy or what started off as IMBY. It's the Vancouver. um, It's kind of the crowdsource as well. They haven't quite done the platform the way you're trying to do it. Anyway, being the adventurous investor that I am, I jumped. We both jumped in at the very beginning. We're like, let's do it. The first property. Why not? Right. And funnily enough, that was in late 2018 in downtown Vancouver, well, east side Vancouver. And we were looking at it the other day because of course we got our 2021 updates that came out and I've lost money. I've lost money in Vancouver real estate. My original $500 investment is now worth only $440. So I just found it really interesting. And this is just, a, it was just anecdotal um, because I know I've, I've we've done a lot of research into private uh, real estate, like actually owning our own real estate and things like that. And the general, all of us, the general assumption is that our, continued awesome growth in real estate in all the Canadian centers is going to continue, right? And I think especially people in Saskatchewan, our listeners there will chime in and say, "Uh, no, our market's been pretty flat (laughs) for a few years. So just anecdotally there that I've experienced how the cost, and I think part of that and the assessment has gone down, but also the cost of the building and maintenance and things like that. So that kind of brings me to the next question as far as property management, uh, capital expenditures, major repairs, things like that. How is how, what kind of contingencies does buy properly build into your model so that my equity stake is sort of preserved? Uh, is that what do you think, economist? Is that a good way to ask that question? You see where I'm trying to get at there? Uh. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Run with it.
2: Is that your is a question
0: like how do I ensure you don't lose money? Not no no no. no. <laughs> I mean we let's yeah. be fair here. All, like all our listeners are sophisticated investors. We all know there's risk in everything, and we can lose money. And that's that's not my question at all. And I'm just saying from uh, I think we can all accept that there's costs. To doing business in real estate. You know, you mentioned a little bit earlier, whether it's vacancy, uh, whether it's tenants, like I know part of the problem with Addy last year, is they had a tenant that didn't pay, right? Because of unfortunate times in COVID. So, you know, there's things like that. There's CapEx that's gonna happen with a property, uh, unforeseen repairs, things like that. So all those kind of expenditures, you build those into your business plan for the property. How does that impact an investor? Uh
2: sure. So let me start with that and then I'll come to the whole. Vancouver experience that you <laughs> guys have had. Um so just a story. Of it, <laughs> in terms of, well, it's a true story, so it's worth discussing. Yeah. Um so in terms of expenses, A, we are super conservative in general. Like when we are stating something we're probably talking about we've probably factored in twice the vacancy that's normal for that area we've probably factored in uh, property management costs bunch of insurance costs etc cetera, etc cetera. we usually like when we are saying the return expected is seven percent most likely we know that it's way more than seven percent so we are not trying to paint a rosier picture we would rather under promise and over deliver yeah um, all of these expenses are real they happen and whether you uh, you are owning a property with us or in reality, uh, some of that is baked in. So we try and keep some amount of reserves up front. So if we are not picking up dilapidated properties. We do tons of inspection, all of that, making sure if it's a condo, that the condo has enough reserves. They have what their forecast is for the next three years is known in terms of budget. So there is a certain amount of known variables in there that we're not getting into. That said, they can always be a surprise. Yeah. That's where one insurance comes in. You talked about tenant some vacancies already factored in, but say you had a covid scenario where you have a tenant who says, "Hey, I don't think I can pay anymore." Take it or leave it, like reduce my rent to half or or zero. Those yeah. are the choices. We have uh, we have a tenant insurance, which means that we basically have a monthly insurance. And if the tenant doesn't pay during the lease period, the insurance company actually covers a cost. They oh, okay. will pay the full rent. Of course, they have to vet the tenant we are bringing in, which means I can't bring in a shady tenant that had no chance of delivering on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they do the initial check, but once that uh, the tenant is qualified by them, if the tenant doesn't pay, no matter what the circumstances, including COVID, they would pay if the tenant can't pay. And if the tenant doesn't want to leave at the end of the term, they cover eviction costs uh, and any losses related to it. So so we've tried to build in some of these contingencies and pre-planned and being conservative. That said, yes, a Vancouver uh, situation like you had can happen. And and to avoid that, basically, I think uh, my team... And maybe partly me is like a bunch of nerds. So we've done tons of analyses. (laughs) And COVID helped because we couldn't rush and do deals because everything was closed and we couldn't do open houses and we couldn't uh, go see property. So we said, you know what, let's do more analyses. So what we've done is we started with like a a high level macroeconomic analysis. We've done that for Canada, for US, and a bunch of places in Europe as well where we intend to expand. So, uh, places not obvious to you, but places like portugal in poland because you can make way more returns in gdansk than you can in london yep um and so we've analyzed uh some of the top real estate markets uh, and the intent of that macroeconomic analysis was to say hey where are some of these top real estate performing cities or the top cities in their real estate life cycle so for example if- example, when we analyzed, and this analysis was done in 2019, actually, when um, we started out, that was the first thing we did, we realized that Vancouver is in the late real estate life cycle. Real estate is also cyclical, Like most, it just has a longer cycle. It's more like an 18, 20 years than a seven-year stock market cycle. Definitely, and so yeah. we tried to place them on the real estate um, life cycle based on things like um, their vacancy, Com- average vacancy, median vacancy compared to a long term vacancy, like a 15 year vacancy. So where are they on that? In terms of building permits, how many permits are going out and how what is the net influx of people coming in? What are some of the supply demand statistics? So if you look at Toronto, for example, 2018, 95,000 people net came into GTA, 65,000 net houses went into the market. Right. So okay. clearly, there's a mismatch, which is why the prices were being driven up yep. uh, more than anything else. Um, and so, I think we did a lot of these as so a job permits, job growth, GDP, tons of that, compared it to like a 15 year, 20 year media, and to say, hey, where is it in these terms? And then picked the cities that we want to play in, the regions we want to play in. That was the first cut we did. Then we actually did the next cut, which was neighborhood level cut. So once you we were like, okay. Toronto qualifies does downtown Toronto qualify for us it did not okay but did Hamilton qualify it did okay um yes uh, there are places that wouldn't qualify so Halifax was like a maybe a mountain a mountain for example is like yeah it qualifies but then there are other challenges so right,
0: so you're basically talking about the one percent sort of type ba- benchmark that a lot of real estate investors look at. Is like, does this market have support for that? Whether it's house value versus its rental value, is that kind of the yes. research? You did?
2: Fundamentals.
0: Yeah, me And exactly. then, then
2: we then we did the unit level analysis, and we built an AI model that helps us kind of identify what's going to underperform, overperform. Yeah. Uh, because like, yes, I can hire a bunch of investment bankers to do due diligence on each of those properties. That's just not scalable. So we said, hey, let's automate with AI. And so, yes. So we've done a bunch of analyses to avoid uh, picking up some of these properties, like a lot of the properties that come on the platform. And and actually, I was talking to my husband earlier, like most of the properties you bring on your platform, it's like you could buy it for yourself and live in there. Like, Yeah, that's kind of...
0: That's the idea. Like,
2: If I'm willing to put my money in, only then will I put somebody else's money in.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just have a a couple questions about, uh, or some information from your website. So I'm looking at a property that you've advertised a rental yield of 5.1%. So that's a net rental yield?
2: Yes. That one's actually already rented out.
1: So we know that's that's the correct number. So that's what... um, the investors will get paid out less the 2.5%. Is that right?
2: Yeah. This is what will get paid out.
1: 5.1%. Yeah. But the 2.5%
0: would come off that. Right.
2: So this one actually already includes the 2.5%. Okay. Really? Yeah.
0: So this rental yield is net net of fees, fees. maintenance, every all other costs. Okay. So that's what you expect to see. Qu- and it's quarterly that you pay out your distributions, I believe. I yeah, heard.
2: because expenses can be unpredictable. And so making it totally. monthly is trickier.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. It
2: helps smoothen out because we can always have like a washing machine broke down kind of a problem. So
1: so I just did some quick math. And it, it looked like the projected rent was about 32000 a year. And the projected fee was twelve five a year. So that only got to me to about 3.9% yield. Sorry, where are
2: you looking at the projected fees?
1: Uh, Sorry, the projected rent is listed as as $26.50 per month, and then the fees are 2.5%, I know, because that's what you told me, right? Yes. So without any other expenses, that looks to me like only 3.9%.
2: Let me also use my calculator then. Absolutely. Yeah, that's because I think this needs an update because our rent is not twenty six fifty right now. Okay, that's why.
0: This leads me into a into a question that I have then from because I did sign up for your website and went through yeah. it as well. Um, my experience with Addy was that they provide uh, a letter. Uh, what is it? It's an offer uh, offering memorandum which um, gives all the sort of the legal details and everything to do with that and the finances of the property. When I went into buy properly and I clicked on sort of, um, you know, invest or whatever, it basically asked me to transfer funds. Now, at what point do I get to view the detailed financial breakdowns of the property as if it was a real estate deal that I was sourcing myself? Do you provide all of that to the investors before they sort of click? But they have to send the money first before they get that information.
2: Sort of, yes. Sort
0: of? (laughs) It's like, we need a little bit of commitment from you, but...
2: uh... No, so here's the thing. Our website is also going through some... So you see a section called documents and you see no documents there. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. All of these appear there. Okay. We're like, we're a startup, so you have to forgive us for that. But there's a section called documents where you would normally see this stuff already before you click on that. Just not go live with it yet. (laughs)
0: I have to say, I'm not going to lie, because this was the thing that gave me pause. Is was like, hmm, they're asking me to send the money already, and I haven't gotten to do my due diligence yet. So I just wanted to clarify no. that so that any yeah. listeners that are potential investors, that's not, you know, if I send you my $2,500 and then I get the paperwork and I go, you know what, I'm just, there's something about that doesn't work for me. Uh Obviously, I can request that money back because it hasn't gone into a deal at that point. Or maybe I leave it there for a future deal. Is that an option for I- investors?
2: So usually, you will get all of these documents in the document section. Okay. We are updating the page right now. I can't see it, which is why I'm also surprised. But okay. we are updating that page right now. But in the document section, you should be able to sh- uh, see all of the maps. including including what was the closing cost, what was the legal fees, like entire detailed structure of the cost, any pending expenses. So for example, when we are doing a condo, we will talk about uh, reserves, et cetera. All of that appears in the document section. So you can actually read through that before you have clicked on buy, because the assumption is that if you're clicking on buy, you've actually read that.
0: Yes, fair enough. Exactly. That's what I was thinking when I clicked the invest button. I'm like there's things I haven't read yet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's good to know. I'm glad that that's actually clarified a, a big question for me.
2: And the challenge for the reason we were revamping the page is because uh, we had just put in like a detailed document in there and nobody would read it.
0: Totally. Like yeah.
2: absolutely nobody read it. And so now we are trying to convert those long form documents into say, can we show it in the form of a graph or something interactive so that people actually understand what's going on? Because we were getting questions like, what's the difference between an IRR and an ROI? Because the other company keeps telling me I'll get this much ROI, but what's the ROI? And this is is the yeah. 7% all I will get over five years. I thought it's growing at 7%, but it's annualized. So yeah. things like that were a little difficult in those long-form documents. So we're trying to work with our legal to say how we can represent all of this that it's legally and technically accurate, but also simple to understand. So you will see all documents.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great answer, because I think that's a, a really big part of it. And it, I think it's interesting what you said there, because um, the idea of democratizing this real estate investment for everybody so that you make it, you know, like you alluded to at the beginning, it's super easy, you go online, you can pick the house, decide if that location, if that particular house, if, it, if it's something that you personally want to invest in. One of the difficult parts, as you mentioned, is you're going to have uneducated investors that just go, of course, I want to be in Hamilton real estate, and they throw $2,500 in there. And you're right. You're right. 95% of the time, and I'm just picking a number here, they're not going to read all those legal documents and and dig deep enough into it. And that's that's okay. That's just accepted risk on that part. I think it's incumbent on buy properly or whoever is is providing that is to try and provide all the information, of course, but like you said, is trying to create um, at least something that they're going to read the basics of. I see where it's that tough little spot of having a, a kind of a novice investor. You want them to understand, but if you inundate them with too much information, they're just going to be confused yeah. and not know where to go. That's yeah, a real challenge for sure.
1: And, you know, even for me, when I was reading the Addy memorable, Memorandum or offering memorandum. I was only looking for select things, but I had to go through a, pages and pages, two hundred pages. pages of documents to find the highlights. Right. Yeah. So to have them all in one place would be good. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Like
2: even with the offering memorandum, when we shared the offering memorandum with our customers, um I had the legal team do a version, and then I did a version where uh, it doesn't matter if legally this explains these problems. It is not obvious. And so as like, we have to say it in simple terms that, and even if it at the like um, at the risk of repetition, I have to explain it in simple terms, what it really means, even if I'm, yeah. I've am i already said it in a complicated manner and this covers all of the things yeah. because it's not just about protecting me legally. It is important, which is the job of my lawyers. It's yeah. also important that my customers understand what I'm talking about. Like even we have talked about things like Um, the risk of us going under as a startup. What happens if we go under and how is your property and your investment protected and no correlation to what happens to us because it's a separate entity? And what is the protection mechanism? What, What will you do if that happens and things like that? And not in a legal language, but in a legal language plus a simple language. And we have simple math examples to say, this is what it means for you for example, if you put in 10K, this is what will happen and this is what will happen Yeah, kind of a thing. So we've, yep. we've tried to simplify as much as we can.
0: Challenge, for sure.
1: Just going back to the website, I see you have some sold-out properties and then some live properties, but you've also got one that says accepting resale investments. Yes. What does that mean?
2: Um, yeah, so we have a, a secondary marketplace that we are just about opening And this is the only one that we are doing the pilot with. So it basically means that if there was an investor in Oakwell, and there's a default lock-in of five years and say they want to sell sell in one-year time or two-year time for whatever personal reasons, they want to exit the investment, this is their mechanism for exiting. So they can list it on the platform and sell to anybody else who wants to buy. So this is one of those properties.
0: This is one of our questions that we wanted to dig into because that's a a really challenging area in Canada from a legal standpoint is to create a secondary market for exempt securities, exempt market securities. So you've managed to do that. Is it specific to Ontario? Is it, you know, if I'm a British Columbia investor, will I be able to participate in the secondary market? What is that secondary? What do you envision it to look like? I, for me, I envision it to sort of be able to go on and put up my, Shares of my house in Hamilton through BuyProperty, and and then uh, you know my buddy Steve in Edmonton can go on there and go, oh, I, I'd like to buy those ten shares of that house, and, and just real simple, direct online exchanges. How do you see it happening?
2: That's how I see it happening. Um,
0: Is it going to happen like that with our regulations in Canada?
2: Uh, technically, it can. <laughs> <laughs> Practically, <laughs> it's a bunch of hoops I need to jump through before that can happen and this was a small pilot to say are people even interested in something like that that's the first question like how many people would want to sell or like in oakville i am the only one who wants to sell so i have a tiny stake so that i can pilot. but nobody else wants to sell right now because they've held it only for one year yeah right yeah
0: Yeah. like
2: why would they want to sell so quickly they got in because the real estate will grow over time um but then this was to run so technically it is possible and and our vision is to make that happen. I think, given that me and my CTO were both uh, at Amazon, that's how we see it. We see we've seen sellers being able to list their product for sale. We're trying to replicate that ease of both selling and buying. Yeah. That said, it's it's a huge, humongous task, even for Amazon to make that and facilitate that. So for us within the security space, it's going to be twice as difficult to make it happen but the first thing that we want to do and ensure is on the platform it can happen in a secure safe correct manner
0: for sure yep
2: and then there's the regulatory angle which is what which we are working on in parallel
0: yeah yeah cuz a big part of any kind of crowdfunding is scale too so you know, you get to a hundred properties in Canada and you've got thousands of investors and you've created a secondary marketplace, it's like you could be dealing with potentially a lot of transactions happening. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting, you know, having your background experience with Amazon probably doesn't look as daunting as it does to me going, wow, I can't, I can't, I can picture the secondary marketplace, but the the actual mechanics of it are uh, overwhelming when it comes to property, just because there's a lot more detailed in the buying and selling.
2: Yeah. and. Um... Both Peter, my CTO, and I, we, we launched a hazardous materials um, uh, marketplace at Amazon.
0: Okay. And
2: that had tons of compliance and legal. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: and, and the risk that we were always told was like, hey, if you get this wrong, and the wrong product ends up in like the wrong building, the building can blow up. So we were like, okay, here, the worst case is somebody loses money. But at least nobody's going to blow up. Um, so it's safer than that. So hopefully we will figure out a mechanism to make it work if we make made that one work.
1: Right. Do you plan to charge a fee for someone to sell on the secondary market? It seems like it would be reasonable to.
2: We would, but nominal. We'll want to try and cover our core costs for that. But that in our mind is not a money making mechanism. We would rather want people to be able to sell and buy as they want, especially on the sell side. If somebody is rushing to sell, clearly there's a personal circumstance. And I wouldn't want to take advantage of that. So I would rather they they do that more freely.
1: Oh, one more thing, kind of in the same line, what happens after the five year lock in period?
2: Yeah, so five-year locking period is the default exit point or liquidity event, if I may say. Um, so the intent is that we either sell the property in the open market and everybody gets their uh, returns and capital gains, etc., is passed on, or we retain and recycle investors. So there will be some good properties that we may not sell to the external market, but retain as buy properly just because it's a well-performing asset. But the existing investors still get that option to exit at that five-year point.
1: But don't have to.
2: Don't have to, yeah.
0: Interesting. So you're going to do the option to exit after five years, one of the questions that I thought of was, in the unlikely event that I need to liquidate prior to that, prior to the five years, are is there some way that I could put my um, my equity, save my shares back up for sale within within that? Um, just as sort of like emergency measures, or is it you're know, kind of stuck in, you're stuck in?
1: Or, or are you waiting for the secondary to come?
2: The secondary we are hoping would happen soon enough. Um, like we're planning for later this year, okay. So that should be soon enough before people want. Yes, we do have a caveat where if there's a life emergency, we as buy property will buy back the shares.
0: And that's fair, yeah, yeah. But I think it's really important to note for you know for listeners and for everybody out there that is you shouldn't enter into this kind of transaction thinking that there's any liquidity you should expect that money to be gone for those five years and if you're if you need that money this this investment isn't right for you i think that's you know sort of fair to say any kind of long-term commitment
2: yeah and real estate isn't like a day trading setup any which ways you're not trading on the volatility you're trading on the fundamentals and the macroeconomic growth and that cannot happen in a week. In a month it will take longer for macroeconomics to change
0: yes absolutely absolutely all right um that's some great information you handled our tough questions and i'm sure we'll hang up the call and think of more but that's great because we'll just we'll just tweet you or something That can work. speaking of which uh before we go first of all thank you so much for joining us on the fi garage we appreciate your time and let our listeners know where they can find you, uh, buy properly, um, social media, online, etc.
2: Yeah, so our website is buyproperly.ca. Um, our Twitter handle is buy properly. Uh, we are on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all of those places by the same name. I think I am most active on LinkedIn. I'm not as active, to be honest, on some of the other social media as maybe I should be. But I just feel <laughs> like. I am too old for some of the other <laughs> channels.
0: Um, Me too. <laughs> all of us. <laughs> yeah. We've, well, it's funny because the the other host that's not here, the uh, the accountant, he's our youngest. He's just in his early 30s. And you think he'd be all over social media and know everything. But like we tried to train him for months on Pinterest and it was hopeless. Hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> so we gave up on him. He's, he, he's yeah. just one for a, his a comedic gold.
2: Yeah, we had a a few interns join us, and they were straight out of college. So they were like, "Oh, are you guys on TikTok?" And like, (laughs) "What? (laughs) We can try. Why don't you make one video and put it up?"
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, I've got one last question for you. How many properties do you envision by properly having available in Canada for Canadian investors?
2: But we we intend to keep growing. So there's no fixed number unless you give me a time horizon.
0: (laughs) Okay, Uh, five years.
2: Oh, that's a long horizon. Maybe at the end of the year, we'll do probably like a 50. That's the interest. 50. 50, yes.
0: Okay, that's interesting. That's that's a lot of scale. And I, I, I feel that this type of business needs to scale for it to, to work for all parties, right? It needs to scale.
2: Yeah, but we are also not trying to rush into it because very important for us is that the customers who are putting money with us are getting good deals. So that's, it's kind of a balance. So we can rush and add a hundred properties. That's not a problem. Like we, we get inbounds like, Hey, we can, can we put this property on the platform? Are you interested in this? But the end objective is that we ensure that we've done rigorous due diligence and we are only bringing in properties that most likely scenario is that they will make money.
0: Yes. Right. Yes, of course. Well, it's going to be really interesting to follow along. We like keeping tabs on uh, all these interesting new investment opportunities in Canada. So once again, thanks, Kushbu, for joining us on FI Garage. Thank you.
2: Thank you both for having me here.